Fine. Uh, do keep that text there in front of you. So we're continuing this series um, on the Bible series, and if you've not bought one of these books and you'd like one, uh, there are still some on the bookstall. And so we're in week four. We thought um, uh, some weeks ago about the Bible being the inspired word of God, the very breath of God, that as we read it, there's that sense in which God breathes his life into us. And then um, after that, the second week, we thought about origins and about uh, that God made us on purpose for a purpose. Actually, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then last week, we thought about um, Exodus, one of the key stories of Judaism. Uh, The people of God were enslaved in Egypt and taken from that place uh, by Moses through the desert and to the promised land. And that within that, uh, it reminds us that actually when we find ourselves up against it for whatever reason, that when we cry out to God, God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And, uh, and one of the texts in that, in that uh, particular instance was Exodus 14, chapter, uh, verse 14, where Moses, where the people were in a very difficult place, they had the Egyptian arm, army behind them, they had the sea in front of them, and he said, he said this, he said, um, you need, uh, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. And a lesson in that is that when we find ourselves in really tough, challenging situations, that at times the key thing for us is to step back and allow the Lord to fight for us. And tonight we're thinking about um, another section or another theme within the Bible series, and it's the theme of exile. So I just wonder, can we just put on that promo video? So you'll see there the the kind of the thread that's going through uh, from the Bible being inspired to origins to exodus and now to exile. And an exile is being in a place that you don't want to be in. And tonight we're thinking in particular about this character of, called Daniel, who's part of the exile from Jerusalem, the promised land, to Babylon, taken against his will, ended up in a situation he didn't want to be in. We're just going to watch another video now that has got a whole bunch of verses on it uh, that will kind of bring a thread to this whole idea of exile. Um, I like those little videos. We're going to miss those, aren't we? Um, I just hope that naked man doesn't turn up again. But have you ever found yourself in a situation that you really did not want to be in? Um, I was talking to Anna recently about a time, and it it would have been about um, about over 20 years ago. And we were living um, in Tunbridge in Kent, which is in the southeast of, of the UK, and um, our boys were quite young. I think they were three, five, and eight, something about that. Uh, so they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't that old at that time. And Anna, I was going to stay at home, but Anna was going to take the boys up to her mum and dad, who lived in North Yorkshire in Wensleydale by train. And so what that meant was that she had to take a train from Tunbridge into London and then get on a train and from London then go all the way up to North Yorkshire. And she was going to do that uh, with the three boys. So I wasn't going with her. Um, so I said, well, look, I'll do the first leg of the journey with you. So we set off quite early in the morning, and uh, it was rush hour. If you know anything about commuting into London, you'll know how busy it can be. But off we went with three boys and three suitcases, and we made our way from Tunbridge um, into London, and then we, we got on a tube that was then going to take us to King's Cross, where Anna would get her train to Yorkshire. And we on the tube, and as you can imagine, rush hour, 
it was incredibly busy and lots of people packed in like sardines in a tin into this tube. Now, Anna had two of the boys. I think she had Sam, no, actually she had Tom and they were a bit further up the carriage. And then I was there with Ben and with Sam. Sam was guarding the suitcases because he's strong like that. And, uh, and then I had Ben. Ben was young enough to sit on my lap. Anyway, um, as we're traveling along on this tube between one station and another, suddenly the train juddered and came to a sudden halt. And uh, everyone was like looking around because it wasn't usual for a train to stop in between the two stations. And then I realized what Ben had done. Um, <coughs> he, he'd reached out and he'd pulled the emergency handle and, um, and he'd stopped the train. I hadn't seen him do it. Wasn't quite sure what to do in that situation when suddenly, from nowhere, this voice came, quite gruff and angry, saying, who pulled the emergency handle? And I just kind of, it's like the voice of God. And, <clears throat> and I just said, it was my son. And everyone looked at me, and some were smiling, and some were pretty angry about it. Uh, and then his voice came again from nowhere and said, speak to the handle. And, and basically, what I was then meant to do was then to speak into this handle that had this microphone from the guard who was at the other end of the train. I found myself in a place that I did not want to be in. Anna was at the other end of the carriage and could see all of this that was going on. And she was sick with nerves and embarrassment. I'm not quite sure why, because she could just disown me and say this has got nothing to do with me. Anyway, we carried on, and I thought, that's the worst bit that's over. The train went, and then we got to the next station. And, and then um, <clears throat> what happened was, was that all of the doors on all the other carriages opened, except for the doors on the carriage that we were in. And so you could tell that people were getting quite frustrated because they wanted to get out and get to work. But basically, uh, because the emergency cord had been pulled in that carriage, they had to deal with it. And so what happened was eventually, it felt like ages, the driver, the guard then came down to the carriage and uh, quite a, a rough looking bloke. He'd had a rough night, I think. And, and he opened the doors and he wouldn't let anyone out of the train until he'd spoken to the person whose son had pulled the emergency handle. So he found his way to me. I explained to him what had happened. I apologized. I offered to pay the fine. And eventually he reset the handle and then let everyone off of the train. Meantime, Anna had given birth to kittens six times over at the other end. But, and three stops later, we found ourselves in King's Cross, and uh, I, I said goodbye very quickly and, and ran home. Um, that day, I found myself in a place I did not want to be in. I had no choice in the matter. Uh, it was clearly someone else's fault, yet I was the one who then had to deal with the consequences of what Ben had done. Um, in Daniel chapter 1, part of which Brian read out to us and part of which you've got on your notice sheet, we find this man called Daniel. And it's very clear as you go through his story that he's in a place he did not want to be in. He wasn't there out of choice. He wasn't there because of something he had done, but he was there because of the behavior of the generations who had gone before him within the people of God. Daniel finds himself 
in this place called Babylon. And it's uh, the, the super empire at that time. And what had happened was, was that the people of God had gone from Jerusalem and because of their disobedience to God, that God in some ways had been quite pragmatic and allowed the Babylonians to come and to take them away from Jerusalem over 700 miles across the desert to this place called Babylon. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So he basically surrounded it. And then at first, first time, he took out all of the leaders. And then he came back again. He took out most of the other people. And then they completely knocked down Jerusalem. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, and they carried it off to Babylon and put that treasure in the house of his God, the, uh, the God called Bel, who was the God of Babylon. And so what had happened was, was that because after many years of Israel living in sin and being disobedient and rebellious, God's patience had worn thin, and he hands them over to the empire of Babylon. And Daniel is one of those who has been taken captive into this foreign land. And uh, he, he didn't belong in that culture and in that place. He was amongst people that he didn't normally relate to. They were speaking a language that he didn't know, eating food that he wouldn't normally eat. He was in a situation that he just did not want to be in. On that video, it brought up part of a psalm, Psalm 137, which was written in exile, made famous by Boney M, and I won't sing it, uh, but it, it says, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There, on the poplars, that those are trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded for songs of joy, and they said, sing one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of Zion in a foreign land? They hung up their harps. The harps uh, basically speaks about uh, the worship of the people of God. They would use their harps within the temple in Jerusalem. They would use their harps to play tunes so they could sing songs of worship as a, as a sense of joy and celebration. And so when you heard the harp being played, life was good. But if you hung up your harp, life was awful. And there was a sense in which they didn't sing but they wept. They were angry about their captors. They were angry. They were bitter. They were depressed because they had been taken from their homeland into this place called Babylon. And um, Henri Nouwen, who's a Catholic writer, he says, when we find ourselves in a place of exile, we need to be honest because there is a time for weeping. And so the people of God in Babylon wept because of what they had lost and the situation they find themselves in. And then you come to Daniel. Not only is he in exile, but also what's happened is that they've changed his name as well. They've changed his identity. He was uh, born Daniel. His parents probably spent a lot of time thinking about his name. Daniel means the God who judges. But they gave him a different name that was uh, 
kind of attributed to the god of Babylon, the god's Bel. So he's called Belshazzar. And so he finds himself in a place he doesn't want to be, uh, with his identity changed, leading the life that he doesn't want to lead within the king's palace. Yet, for some reason, this is where God has placed him. But Babylon was most certainly not Daniel's first choice world. His first choice world would have been back in Jerusalem with his family and his friends, seeking to be obedient to God and experiencing God's blessing. That would be his first choice world. Yet Daniel finds himself in a world that he hasn't chosen at all. And what Daniel experiences in this story, I think, is what many of us experience within our lives. You know, it may well be that we have an ideal first choice world that we'd like to live, but probably many of us live in what may well be our second choice world, and at times, our world that we don't want to live in at all. You know, if I was to sit you down and ask you a question, what kind of life would you like to lead? I'm sure that in your mind's eye, you may well have your first choice world. You could maybe articulate the relationships that you'd like to be in, the job that you'd love to do. And uh, around that whole thing, I think there's some ridiculous percentage of people, over 60% of people, who don't like the job that they are doing. They'd like to be doing something else. Maybe you can picture the house that you'd love to live in, the church that you'd like to be part of, certainly not this one, the emotions that you'd like to feel when you get up in the morning, the achievements that you'd like to achieve in your lifetime. Many of us probably could articulate our first choice world. And, and for some people, they do experience that but I do think they're in a minority. Many of us live in a world of second choice and at times of no choice at all. We find ourselves in situations maybe to do with our health, maybe to do with our home life, maybe to do with our work, maybe to do with school, actually that we'd rather not be in. You know, we live with emotions that we'd rather not have. We've had jobs that have started out okay, but actually we'd much rather be doing something else instead. You know, maybe we're in a relationship that began like a dream, but is actually now a bit of a nightmare. At the same time, though, we, we live in this Western culture which tells us that we need to fulfill our potential. Our Western culture tells us that we can have it all if we really want it. You can live the dream if you put your mind to it. You can live the dream if you work hard at it. We can achieve anything if we try hard. And I don't know if any of you watch those awful programs with Simon Cowell, but they bring it up time and time again. And they say, well, you know, this is, you know, you can, you can be a pop star even if you can't sing. <laughs> if only we work hard enough, we can have everything we want. And culture seems to imply that if we don't fulfill our potential, if you don't achieve your dream, however barking mad that dream is, that somehow we've failed. Western society uh, says that not living in our first choice world, it means that there's something wrong with us, that we failed in life. And so what you find is that people are never satisfied. 
They don't know contentment because they're always chasing the dream until they might realize it, and then they chase another dream. And you see this, I think, sometimes in terms of relationships or maybe in terms of possessions and jobs. We, we always think it's going to be better the next time round, and we don't live in the present moment. The book of Daniel, though, I think confronts this idea um, that second-choice worlds or worlds of no choice at all are for losers, are for those who failed. It confronts the idea that we can only really live life to the full that Jesus promises us if we live in our first choice world. The book of Daniel, we find, uh, demonstrates that no choice worlds aren't dumping grounds for failures. They aren't second best, but actually they can be arenas, places in which God can be known and his power can be demonstrated. Daniel shows us that even in difficult and dark situations, and being in exile in Babylon, and Babylon was a dark pagan place, that even in those places, God's light can come. That in places of despair, hope can come. Even if we live in a no-choice world, God can still work powerfully amongst us. But the key, though, I think, is how we approach the world in which we live. If it's not the world that we would choose, but it is the world where we find ourselves. So just a few things about how Daniel approaches this world, this world of Babylon that he's thrown into. Well, firstly, he doesn't live as a victim of his circumstances. We don't find Daniel saying, poor old me. He may well have thought it, and I'm sure there are times when he did hang up his heart and he wept, but he didn't stay there. He was honest about the pain and the sense of loss in which he found, but he didn't live with that victim mentality all the time. Daniel doesn't approach this no-choice world with a victim mentality. And you may have met people, I've met people where basically it's always everyone else's fault, poor old me, and they just find it hard to live joyfully in the present moment that they find themselves in. But Daniel's not like that. The other approach that Daniel doesn't take is he doesn't live in a fantasy world with his head in the clouds, ignoring reality, thinking that happiness, that fulfillment, that contentment will only come tomorrow when his circumstances have changed. Daniel is present in the present moment. And I think that even though he finds himself in an incredibly hard situation, he's still honest about it, doesn't live with a victim mentality, but actually even in the midst of that dark and difficult situation of exile, he knows contentment and joy. You know, we can all live with dreams and our heads kind of get stuck in the clouds and we're not present in the present moment. You know, in my first choice world, I dream that I'm the vicar of a church of 3,000 people with a building that is both awe-inspiring and functional at the same time. I dream that my congregation love me and agree with everything I say and do. Every week when we meet, people are healed and saved and set free. I dream that my wife is still head over heels in love with me as when we first met all those decades ago. 
and that I can never do any wrong. You know, I dream that every day I get up, I'm happy and content. My relationship with God is saint-like. It's the kind of thing that people write books about. I dream that one day my numbers will come up on the lottery and I'll win millions of pounds. And I will, of course, give 10% to the Lord's work and keep the rest for myself. You know, we, we can live in a kind of a dream world, thinking, oh, it might happen tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Or thinking, oh, we can't be happy here. I can't be happy until I've got this, this, and this, and this. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming. Dreaming can be inspirational. But if our dreaming stops us from being present in the present, it can be dangerous. If all we do is focus on tomorrow or the if-onlys, we will never live life today. Daniel, even though he lived in this no-choice world, I think he actively engaged with it. He didn't cut himself off from his present reality. But what we find with Daniel, and if you look through the rest of the book, the, the first half of Daniel um, is, is a good story. The second half is what you might call apocalyptic scripture or literature. It's just plain weird. So maybe stop in the middle. Um, but, but basically what we find is that Daniel... In this no-choice world, he actually embraces it as it is. He embraces his life of exile. And what we find is that God was able to work in him and through him. Just a few things that Daniel did that helped him to embrace life. Firstly, I think Daniel had a sense that even in exile in Babylon, that God was with him. That God hadn't left him that God hadn't abandoned him, that God's presence wasn't less in Babylon than it is in Jerusalem. And I think we too need to slow down enough in our lives to have a sense that God is with us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Remember this, in your second, third, fourth or no choice world, God is still with you. The second thing is, is that Daniel remained devoted to God. And you see this in, in verse 8, where he, he basically is offered this food, and, and actually he struggles to eat the food that they give him from his religious point of view. And he expresses his devotion to God by not eating the food that was set before him that had been offered to the idols of Babylon. He struggled with the association. He didn't want to defile himself. And not taking the food was an act of devotion to the God of Israel. He says, I worship the God of Israel. Then what we find a bit later on in the next five chapters is he had this discipline of prayer where he went several times a day to pray to his God. And even when he was told he couldn't, he still did it. He remained devoted to the God of Israel. I don't know what you're like when things happen that you struggle with, find yourself in situations that you don't want to be in. I, for myself, when things aren't going my way, can be like a stroppy child and my relationship my devotion to God actually decreases and I'm almost like a spoiled child who turns his back on God and won't talk to him but actually when things aren't going well which is the case for Daniel he still maintained his devotion to God in the highs and in the lows third thing in this no choice world was that Daniel kept community with others. There were three others who were there with him. It says about it in verse 7. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
And basically, Daniel, I think, uh, embedded himself in this community amongst these friends to gain perspective and support and encouragement. It's very easy when life gets tough to cut ourselves off from others. Anna and I have done it on many occasions, but I think that what we find from Daniel is that he kept community with others. And finally, what we find with Daniel is that even though he found himself in a place that he did not want to be in, and he struggled with what was going on, and at times it was hard to discern whether God was there or not, he continued to work hard at what he was given to do. He surpassed his contemporaries from Babylon. He demonstrated, it says in the text, wisdom and understanding. He did what he did well. How many of us in situations that we don't want to be in can actually disengage and be lazy? We don't give of our best, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's church. You know, actually, I think even in the midst of exile, we're still called to give of our best in that situation. There's a little text in Colossians 3:23, and it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you're in a good place or a difficult place, work at Work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Daniel gave of his best. So, to sum up, Daniel is in exile. No choice world. We too may well experience something similar. But if we want to live life, then we need to learn to embrace that exile. To not live as victims and daydreamers. To recognize that God is with us to continue to remain devoted to him and to keep community with others and do what we're called to do and to do it well. And I think what we find in the book of Daniel is that as he embraced this life, so God embraced him and God worked in him and through him. And I think what is true for Daniel will be true for us too, that as we embrace life as it is, that we would experience the embrace and the power of God in our lives. Amen. Shall we stand? Um, just like us to just to be still for a moment, then we're going to sing a couple of songs. And if you'd like to receive prayer, there'll be some people on, on my right, happy to pray with you and for you. But maybe just uh, keep your eyes closed for me a moment. And it may well be that you find yourself in a world that you didn't expect. Certainly not your first choice world. It could be your second, third, fourth, your no choice world. And, and actually you're struggling with that. It's not really what you'd planned for. Well, if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. Just, and just as a response, just raise a hand for me. And I'd love to pray for you that where you find yourself, that you might know God. So, Father, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters who find themselves in a world that is not of their choosing. Maybe a world they struggle with because of the work situation school situation, family situation, whatever it might be. 
And Father, I pray that they would know that even in those difficult places, that you are with them. And I pray that you would help them, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances, to know your contentment and your joy and a peace that the world cannot give. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.